as we're continuing with prayer for God to come to us by His Spirit, we are not going to return to our series in Jeremiah for a few weeks. This morning, I would like us to consider the account that was read from Luke chapter 9 about an event that happened on a mountaintop to three disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and John. He was transfigured. The word transfiguration, it's the same uh, as being metamorphosized. That's the original word it comes from. And if you think of something being metamorphosized, the most famous example is a caterpillar. The caterpillar isn't much to look at, is it, in terms of beauty? But that caterpillar, uh, building a cocoon around itself, metamorphosizes into one of the most beautiful creatures on God's earth, a butterfly. And what happens here is that Jesus Christ, who was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, if we would have been around 2,000 years ago in Palestine, we would not have recognized Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We would have just seen another ordinary Jew from a poor working-class family background. Uh, we're sometimes, I think, led astray uh, by our uh, heritage, uh, where you have these pictures of Jesus Christ as uh, a white man uh, with some angelic face and a halo over his head and wearing robes that are completely different to those around about him. It wasn't like that. One of my favourite artists is Caravaggio, and he drew uh, pictures not just of our Saviour but of the disciples that were realistic rather than idealistic. And that's what Jesus Christ would have been like. But what happens here on this mountain is that three disciples are suddenly given a glimpse of the glory of Christ. They see beyond the outward appearance. So they no longer see Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, but they just have a glimpse of who he really is. And my friends, that's our need as a church. And even if you come here this morning interested in Christianity and wanting to know what the message of the Bible is, that is what it's all about. Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ as some ordinary human being, he was that. But Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. And it's this glory of his person. That's what we need to have a glimpse of. And I think as a church, we've lost sight of Jesus Christ. And we need once more to look full in his beautiful face.
Now let's look at this uh, metamorphosis that these three disciples were privileged to experience. And may we this morning not see Jesus with our physical eyes, but just have a glimpse with the eye of faith of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Now then, in Luke, I think, uh, we're told that this glory that was coming out of Christ, it was kept under wraps for most of his earthly life. But on this occasion, the wrapping was removed, and this glory was coming from inside of Jesus Christ. So his robes shone, just like Moses' face after he'd been up on the mountain with God, shone with the glory of God. So Jesus Christ's robes shone, and the word in the original is that his robe became white and glistening. It became whiter than any uh, bleach <laughs> could uh, whiten uh, the, the clothing. There was an advert, wasn't there, for a washing up liquid uh, that it makes your clothes whiter than white. Well, multiply that by infinity, and that is what this uh, glory was like. Whiter than white, brighter than bright. And these three men, they weren't some uh, religious fanatics that were easily taken in. Uh, these were fishermen, fishermen. They, they were hardened people, real people. Uh, people that uh, were not impressionable. And yet, John, writing many years later, this is what he said about this experience, we beheld his glory. I'll never forget it. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And Peter, when he wrote a letter many years later, he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I was there. I was there. And what also happened here was that there was a cloud upon the mountain. Now, that's a common experience, isn't it? Those of you who have uh, experience of climbing mountains, most of uh, your days on the hills will be covered in cloud. I took a friend up Moyle Hebog once, and it's a Beth Gellert mountain, Moyle Hebog. And when we got to the summit, we were enveloped in mist. And I had to tell my friend, if you look in that direction, believe me, there is a wonderful view of Snowdon. We couldn't see it, but I had to tell him, it is there, it is. But this cloud was different. This cloud was different. This cloud was part of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament will know that often in the Old Testament, a cloud came down upon God's people. The Shekinah glory, it's called. Uh, the word glory, when it applies to God, has the sense of weightiness about it. This awesome presence of God. And this cloud was like that. And last week, we looked at Moses uh, wanting to see the glory of God 
on the mountaintop. And God said to Moses, you can't see me. You can't see my glory and live. My glory is so pure. It is so awesome. You will shrivel up, Moses, and you will be destroyed by it. There's only one place where you can see my glory, and that's a place in the rock that I've made for you. And then my glory will pass by and you will live. That Shekinah glory. We sang in our second hymn about the pillar of cloud by day. Uh, When the children of Israel by Moses were led out of Egypt, God led them by a pillar of cloud. That was the glory, the Shekinah glory. When Moses built the tabernacle, the tent, uh, what happened in that tent? Oh, the priests sacrificed there. But what filled that tabernacle was the glory, the Shekinah glory, so that Moses couldn't even go in. And then the temple. We looked last Sunday morning at Solomon building his temple. Not a tent, but a physical building for God to dwell in. And what happened after the temple was complete? The Shekinah glory came down and the priests weren't able to go in. That's what we're talking about here. And for 600 years, the Shekinah glory hadn't been seen in Israel. For 600 years... No word of prophecy had been uttered. For 600 years, it seemed as heaven had been shut up. And now, for the first time, on this mountaintop, three ordinary people witnessed that Shekinah glory. And it's only because they had Jesus Christ with them that they didn't die. Does anybody here think that they can just stand before God and hold their head up high. Our God is a consuming fire. And you and I cannot live. We cannot live if we see his glory. We need a mediator. That's what Jesus Christ is. He is somebody that represents us to God. He is somebody that holds heaven on one side and us on the other and brings us together. Jesus Christ, as I said, a la Caravaggio, he was a real man. He's fully human. He can sympathize with you and me, whatever you're going through. He is representing our humanity. But at the same time, he is God. The glory of God dwelt in him. People didn't see that when he was here on earth. But on this mountaintop, they saw it. They saw it. This wasn't just a holy man. This was God himself. There was no need for a temple or a tent now because the glory, the Shekinah glory, was in a person. The glory of Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come back one day physically. What's he going to come back on? Do you know? On the clouds, not normal clouds, but the Shekinah glory. So here are three people 
for a moment they are lifted, not just physically on a mountaintop, but they are lifted above this world of time. They are in the midst of glory, eternity, the past glory of God, the Shekinah glory from the Old Testament, the present glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and the future glory of God. It's all there. Eternity coming down into time. That's what we need. I had somebody say to me once, many years ago, they came to this church, and as they were standing out there in the porch, there was just a sense, just a small sense, but still a sense that God was in this place. Where is the glory, my friends, in the churches of Wales today? Where is that sense of his presence? Now, I don't like it uh, when uh, we tell people, because it's something too much for me of the school teacher. I don't like it when we tell people, you mustn't talk before church. I don't, I don't like forcing things like that. But, my friends, it's possible to have such a sense of the glory of God that no one speaks, no one speaks. Don't you long for that? We, we sometimes think, oh, if only we had a special preacher, but it's nothing to do with that. It's God, God coming down. Let me read an account from 1859. Up in Bala, right? Have you been to Bala? But Bala is quite a place to visit. It's the spiritual capital of North Wales. And there is still a Bible college in Bala today, belonging to the Presbyterian Church. And there was a college there in 1859, and there was a student there called Thomas Charles Edwards. Thomas Charles Edwards is a very, very, very intelligent man. There's a statue to him on the front in Aberystwyth. So say hello to him whenever you're walking past the old college in Aberystwyth. And he was once in a meeting in the college in Bala, June 1859. This is what we're talking about now. Just like the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration beheld the glory of Christ. So Thomas Charles Edwards was in a meeting, and this is what he says, just a short quote. There came two plain men from Cardiganshire to Bala and preached Christ simply without fuss, without much education or eloquence, but they had more. Eternity came into that service. Heaven came into that place. The change I experienced, he went on to say, was sufficient evidence to me of the divinity of Christianity. I was previously a lump of damnation, and in that meeting I became a new creature. That's what he says. I was a lump of damnation. I realized that I didn't have a hope in the world, that sin wasn't the problem of people outside of the Bible college, but I was the sinner, and if I was to die a sinner, I wouldn't have a hope for eternity. And then, then... I saw Jesus Christ as my only hope. That's all these two men had. A simple gospel 
in the power of the Spirit. We've got two people from our church now going to Cardiganshire, haven't we? Wynne and Angela. And they're going with the same message. Wonderful. Oh, May 2022 be a year when eternity comes down to Heath Church, where this becomes the gate to heaven, not just for somebody who is still not yet saved. I long for anybody here this morning who is still a lump of damnation, as Thomas Charles Edwards was. I long that you will come to believe in Jesus Christ. But I also long that we as professing Christians will come to know Jesus Christ again. Jesus Christ, the glory of Christ. And then the next thing, look what happens. It's not just the glory of Christ that is seen here, but two people join them. Two people join them. Who are they? Moses and Elijah. What's so significant about that? Well, they were dead. <laughs> they were dead. Imagine being with somebody, and then that person is joined with two people that you recognize from your history books. Moses and Elijah had been dead for centuries, and now they suddenly appear with Jesus Christ. Who are they? Moses, of course, the great leader uh, of the children of Israel. God had raised him to lead them out of Egypt. It was through Moses that the law was given, the Ten Commandments. That's what Moses stood for, the law. Very important. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. And then Elijah. Who was Elijah? Elijah was the famous prophet. Both Moses and Elijah had met God, had seen God's glory on Mount Sinai. It was called Mount Horeb in Elijah's day, the same mountain. Both had an experience of God's glory. Both died in an unconventional way. Moses died and God buried him somewhere. And nobody knew where. Elijah didn't die quite the same as any of us will die. Elijah was taken in a chariot to heaven. And both of them now are conversing with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall there? What were they talking about? Unfortunately, Peter, James and John were asleep. Isn't that sad? They were asleep. They only woke up to see Moses and Elijah there. But thankfully for us, we're told what they were talking about. We're told. Verse 30. Two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What's that? The word for decease is his exodus. His exodus, which was about to take place in Jerusalem. Now, I remember being in a wedding once, and I, I do enjoy weddings, right? I do enjoy them. Uh, but I, as you know, I'm shy. I'm shy. And there happened to be another minister in this wedding, and I said to this minister in the reception, look, I'm, I'm just no good at doing small talk, I said. I'm just no good at small talk. So do you know what he said to me? Let's do big talk then. Let's do big talk. I thought I've never heard that before. Let's do big talk. And that's what Moses and Elijah are doing with Jesus Christ. They're not doing small talk. They're not talking about the latest fashion uh, in Jerusalem. They're doing big talk, big talk. 
And it's hard doing big talk when your microphone comes off. Let's clip it back on. What are they talking about? What's the big talk? The exodus of Jesus at Jerusalem. Dear me, you say, that sounds complicated. What's that about? Well, Moses would have known, wouldn't he, about the exodus. What happened in the exodus? God released his people from Egyptian bondage. God delivered his people from a state of slavery. How did it come about? It came about on the night of the Passover. What happened on the night of the Passover? God's, in a sense, God's glory came down upon Egypt. But we are told that it was the angel of death because that's what the glory of God is like when it confronts sinful humanity. And the children of Israel were told by Moses and Aaron that if you are to live, you've got to put blood on the doorposts of your house. You've got to sacrifice an animal that is pure. And then you've got to put the blood of that animal on your doorposts so that when the angel of death comes, and the angel of death was coming on everybody, but when the angel of death comes and sees the blood, it passes over your house and you are saved. That's what happened. So what's the exodus in Jerusalem? Well, it's bigger than this. It's not just being delivered from Egyptian slavery. It's being delivered from our slavery to sin. And it's not about an animal being sacrificed and the blood of an animal being put on the doorposts. But it's about Jesus Christ being sacrificed on the cross. The Lamb of God. And it's not the doorposts of a house that the blood is going to be applied to, but it's going to be the hearts of people. The exodus of Jesus. You know what, my friend? The death of Jesus Christ is the biggest event in the history of the world. If you want big talk, talk about Calvary. What happened on that cross? And it's not something, um, how can I put it? It's not something... Detached from us, it's not. As the Afro-American song says, I was there, I was there when they crucified my Lord because my sin was what took him to that cross. Were you there, were you there? And sometimes it causes me to tremble, to tremble when I think that my sin, even me, a respectable person brought up to attend chapel, I never, I never did anything grossly wrong as a boy, right? I never got drunk. I never uh, slept with anybody. But I was a lump of damnation. My sin necessitated the coming of Jesus Christ, God's Son, becoming a man and dying on a cross in order that this lump of damnation might go to heaven. It causes me to tremble to think that my sin caused that. My sin and Elijah, he would have been familiar with all the prophecies, the prophecies of the Messiah, the prophecies of the suffering servants. That's big talk. My friends, as a church, we need to come back to the cross. Haven't we forgotten the cross? The cross, on the cross, on the cross, where I first saw the light, where the burden of my sin rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Are you happy? 
if you're not happy as a believer now. Maybe it's because you've forgotten about the cross. You don't need to climb to the Mount of Transfiguration. Just go to Mount Calvary. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. No one knows where Calvary is today, really. But just go in your heart to Christ on that cross. It was for me that he died. For me and for you, lost sinners. And his arms were extended in love. His arms can hold the whole world if needs be. It doesn't matter how far you've gone astray. His arms can encompass you. And that cross was victorious. I, I can't sing, you know, when we come to communion, I can't sing the hymns on the cross in a, a, a way that is sad. I can't, I can't. Because on that cross, it was a victory. Uh, we had somebody come to our church a few times, a few years ago now, and they were telling me, you're always preaching about death, they said to me. You're always preaching about death. But they went on to say, but then you talk about Jesus as the death defeater. I like that. The death defeater. The death defeater. Praise God. Through death, he might destroy him who has the power of death. What did we start our service with? This is glory, isn't it? Glory, glory, everlasting be to him who bore the cross, who redeemed our souls. How? How did his exodus accomplish? How are we delivered? How are we delivered? By tasting death, the death deserved by us. That's your only hope. That's your only hope. And then one last thing. What's the response of the disciples here to this? What's your response, I wonder? Well, Peter, poor Peter, he always put his foot in it, didn't he? He always did that. What did he say? He woke up <laughs> and they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. What a stupid thing to say. And Luke says he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> so Luke agrees. What did Peter want to do? Peter, right, what, this is what Peter wanted to do. This is religion for you. Peter wanted to make that mountaintop experience uh, something that will last. So it's not about Jesus Christ alone. He wanted to build three booths. Uh, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for Jesus. And probably Peter wanted people over the next few years to come to this mountain and to have the transfiguration experience. Um, I don't know if uh, there would have been shrines in these booths built as well. Is there anybody here like that this morning? You just want uh, that religious experience. That that's why people spend a tremendous amount of time and effort and money just to go on pilgrimage to places. But it's not what we need, my friends. Jesus isn't found in special places. Well, he can be found, he can. But Jesus can be found anywhere, anywhere.
What did Moses represent? Moses represented the law. And some people want to put Moses on the same level as Jesus Christ. Some people think, yes, I want to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for me, but also I want Moses. I want to keep God's commands in addition to believing in Jesus Christ. Now, we must keep God's commands when we are saved, but we don't do it in order to be saved. It's Jesus alone. Is there anybody here this morning who is trying to put Moses on the same level as Jesus Christ? Uh, I remember one lady telling me that it was chapel, chapel, attending chapel. That was what she trusted in. My friends, chapel will fail you. Jesus Christ won't. All the law will do is show you how incapable you are of keeping it. Paul said, the Lord is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now, somebody else may want to put Elijah on the same level as Christ. What's Elijah? Elijah's the prophet. What do prophets stand for? Religious experiences. And there is nothing wrong, again, with an experience. I'm preaching this morning about an experience. But, my friend, it's not an experience that saves us. It's not. When I was seeking Jesus Christ, I was hearing people talk about an experience they had, and it was a genuine experience of Christ, and they described in great detail the nature of that experience. And what I was seeking after then was the same experience, and that was wrong. It's Christ you need to seek after, my friend. And Christ will give you the experience then. I like the way it's put. The cloud comes, and out of the cloud, God the Father speaks. This is my beloved son. Hear him. It's not about Moses anymore. It's not about Elijah anymore. They are just putting the spotlight on my son. Hear him. And then the account ends, doesn't it? When the voice had ceased, Jesus... I know it says Jesus was found alone, but Jesus alone. That's all they saw, Jesus alone. Hear Jesus alone. See Jesus alone. In another account, it says, seeing Jesus only. Jesus only. That's my burden for us as a church, as we've been seeking God's face in prayer. May this church be a Jesus-only church. Uh, we're Welsh, aren't we? Well, most of us are Welsh. <laughs> and we have this tendency in Wales to idolise preachers. We really do. It's not your favourite preacher and Jesus. It's Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Uh, you may have a Christian celebrity. It's a horrible thing, I know. But in the last few decades, it's been happening, especially across the pond. There have been these big names. And you know what God has allowed? God has allowed those big names, many of them, to fall. Because what God is saying to you and to me is this. It's got to be Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Now, you can have your heroes. I've got my heroes as long as they draw us closer to Jesus alone. We got one of my heroes in the vestry. Uh, him being dead yet speaketh, like Moses and Elijah. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's looking, you know, he's looking at me. Every time I'm in that vestry, he's looking at me. And you know what he's saying to me? My boy, my boy, preach Jesus Christ. Preach Jesus Christ. And you know what I say to him? That's what I try to do. And I need the power of the Spirit to do it. And I want every one of you here this morning to say, we would see Jesus. Not interested in anything else. Jesus alone will save you. I dare not trust the sweetest of experiences, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And after you've been saved, it's Jesus alone we need. Uh, when we read his word, it's Jesus' word. It's Jesus by his spirit that speaks to us. It's Jesus that draws us nearer to him. When we're praying that we are going to be made more godly, it's not being conformed to some religious uh, culture that we're part of, whether that's reformed evangelical or something else. It's being made into the image of Jesus. Jesus alone. And that's why there are other churches in Cardiff as well, and they are Jesus alone places, and we are in this together. That is why you can go to other parts of the world, and I know I keep talking about Andhra Pradesh, but I long to go back there, and there are things there that are slightly different to the way we do things, but it's Jesus alone. Jesus alone. I want to finish by just reading from another of my heroes that helps me to walk with Jesus alone. And that is Mr. Spurgeon. This is what he said. And I just want to say, I believe this with all my heart, and I want us all to be able to say this. Uh, the years are going, aren't they? How long have we got left in this world? I don't know. For most of us, most of our time is behind us now. We, we haven't got that long not in the light of eternity. And Mr. Spurgeon said, I bear witness that never a servant had such a master as I have. Never brother had such a kinsman as he has been to me, Jesus. Never spouse has had such a husband as Christ has been to my soul. Never sinner has had a better saviour. Never soldier has had a better captain. Never mourner a better comforter than Christ has been to my spirit. I want none beside him in life. And in death, he shall be the death of death. In poverty, Christ is my riches. In sickness, he is my health. In darkness, he is my light. In brightness, he is my sun. If there was no hereafter, I would still prefer to be a Christian and the humblest Christian minister at that, to being a king or an emperor or a president or a prime minister. For I am persuaded there are more delights in Christ, yea, more joy in one glimpse of his face than is to be found in all the praises of this world and in all the delight it can yield to us in its sunniest and brightest days. Amen. Give me, give us but Jesus, a Lord crucified.
Jesus alone. Seeing only Jesus, hear him for his name's sake. We're going to sing now, I saw a new vision. Mr. Hyam had an experience of the glory of Christ. You can correct me, but I believe he was lying in hospital when he wrote this. That's, we often have to be brought low before we have that glimpse of Christ. But I did uh, see a new vision, said Mr. Hyam. And, and he must be having that imperfection now. I saw a new vision of Jesus. It's number 812, if you're listening in at home.
Father, we praise Thee that we are all children of mercy. And everyone here, we pray, will, oh God, will be found in Christ, in that cleft in the rock, having been washed, uh, the sins washed in his blood. And oh Lord, may this church be a place where mercy and love and grace and compassion uh, reigns. And oh Lord, please don't just uh, give us the word, and we're grateful for that, the word of the gospel. And we are also grateful for just even the smallest intimation of thy love toward us. But oh, show us thy face, show us thy glory, and may we know those times when glory fills this place and other places and instead of all the confusion and the filth that has filled our land in these last decades, may glory once again fill the land. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.